0: Thank you, Angela, for that lovely phone call. Well, there you have it, folks. If you're a Sagittarius, you're going to want to cancel your plans for the rest of this week for your own safety. It's simply what the spirits suggest. Thanks all for tuning in to another night of Seance Astrology. I've been Johnson Thistle, and as I always say, when you feel the Tight curl of fate's fingers. Just relax and let it guide you. You've been watching Seance Astrology. Now, make sure your kids are in bed and the doors are locked. You don't want them to see what's coming up next. Nighttime is the right time to crawl into bed with someone special and tune into another scintillating, salacious, audacious, and sexy episode of TMAO After Dark. Don't touch that dial, we'll be right back. your pleasure with Double Mint Gum. Double good, double fresh, double delicious. Double good,
1: double good, double mint gum.
0: Double your pleasure with Double Mint Gum. And now, it's finally time for TMAO After Dark. Hello
2: and welcome back. To, they made another one where each week we discuss off-forgotten installments and franchises, and see if you should check it out all for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Mitch. With me, I've got Liam. Hello there. And uh, Corey's not here, so no,
1: shouldn't. he was. He we were going to do some Tokyo drifting with Corey, but uh, he actually got caught up in the Cajun swamp. He didn't make it out, and it's just yeah. us now. Are we actually
2: going to keep that introduction?
1: Yeah, I might as well. I mean... Yeah, fuck
2: I, it. I man. hit this the record is, button. Why not? This is TMAO after dark. Um, it is. Corey's, Corey's gone, and you know what we say. When the cat is gone, the mice will play. So That's this right. week, we picked a movie. We were going to do something else, but um, Corey's not feeling well. Under the weather, COVID-19. So we're... Um, we decided to pick a movie that he wouldn't like, and it's one that's been on our list for a while, and it's called *Gator Bait 2: Cajun Justice*. But you already know that because you clicked the the video, so you know.
1: This is your fault, really.
2: Why am I even here? Okay. Um, where do we even go from here, Liam? What do we? How do we unpack this? This monumental 1988 uh swamps exploitation well,
1: why don't why don't you tell the the people of the world how gator bait 2 even even uh came on our list in the first place ah. no one i bet you i bet you uh 999 people out of a thousand if if ever a thousand people listen to this episode my god what have we done but 999 people clicking on this won't know what gator bait 2 is you know only one mm-hmm. person is there mm-hmm. so we've got to we've got to speak to the majority here and tell people why the heck they're listening to this right now uh Corey isn't even here we got to justify ourselves we got to
2: justify it well i never did none of that there book learning so i found this I heard about it through the movies uh no um one afternoon i was just like Browsing Shudder, not my Shudder account because I'm a cheapskate. So I, I was on Liam's Shudder. Shutter. Um, welcome. And uh, I came across Gator Bait, the first movie from 1973. And I was like, ah, what the hell? I watched it on a lark. And mm-hmm. I, I had a surprisingly good time with it. It's sort of, um, I don't know how I would define it. It's like an exploitation film. It's like Smokey and the Bandit meets Deliverance meets inserts exploitation film meets gator uh, bait 2 well the gator bait one came out first in 1973 so yeah right. fair but um that movie is about a a woman named desiree she's a what they call a cajun swamp rat and she's a uh, trapping gators and they uh they get pretty much the there's an incident where she's uh Wrongfully accused of something by the son of a deputy, and uh, these sort of ancient feuding Cajun clans um, wrongfully kind of seek her out and subject her and her family to all kinds of like torment. And then she exacts revenge. And it's kind of like a schlocky, gross movie, um, but it also has a very distinct personality that kind of shines through and is very unique to these movies. Um, like there's a there's a levity to them as well, even though it deals with like very serious subject matter. Um, and so this movie was kind of like a success in a drive-in, in the drive-in sort of beer drinking scenes where you can get up and like, I don't know, order a beer, take a piss,
1: and come back and like nothing's really happened. <laughs> um, well, hey, Mitch. With that being said, I just want to congratulate you. You have just spearheaded this podcast into breaking a world record as uh, <gasps> the longest. Produced podcast episode about Gatorbait Two Cage of we, Justice. We've barely even
2: touched on Gatorbait Two. Yeah, the that's only right. other one is like th-
1: three minutes. That's all. That's all I could find. If there, if there's any other uh, expansive retrospective out there, someone wants to send our way, let us yep. know. But I'm sure by the by the time we're done here, we'll have eclipsed that too. No problem. But uh, yeah, ga- woo, we did it! Yay, Gatorbait
2: Two deserves its time in the sun. Um, that's right. So but, carry on, Mitch. It comes from like a long line of, of um, movies like in the 70s and 60s that were kind of like redneck exploitation movies. I mean, uh, I already alluded to Deliverance, which came out the year before in 1972 from the original. And you kind of see the traces there everywhere. But you've got a whole bunch of other ones that would come out later. and and um, Gator- I have to
1: think that maybe even like Texas Chainsaw Massacre would have influenced stuff like that, you know? Oh,
2: I think so. I think so. You've got... Like all kinds of sort of the frogs, um, other kind yeah. of redneck redneck movies, uh, where swamp folk do unspeakable things. Like also, like later in the eighties, you had movies like Southern Comfort. Um, I think that came out before Gatorade Two, because Gatorade Two came out like over a decade later in nineteen eighty eight. Um, so, I'm going to start us. Should I start
1: with the plot or the cast? Why don't you tell people about the plot so they know what they're what they're in for here and uh, if this is the podcast for you? Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. imagine why it wouldn't be with su- such two handsome hosts, but uh, <laughs> but this, this movie does deal with some uh, some heavy subject matter. But perhaps you know on paper it's probably the maybe the heaviest subject matter we've talked about, but it, it doesn't really feel that way. So no. uh, so out- outline it, but also know that this is going to be a pretty. Uh, frivolous conversation just by way of um, the filmmaking prowess or lack thereof of this movie. So don't be afraid.
2: Hey, uh, anyway, OK, Um, I'm going to I'm going to go right into it. So it's about this naive city girl, sweet, naive, and she's initiated, um, as IMDb says, into the rugged ways of the Louisiana swamp by her good natured Cajun husband. Her name's Angelique. She gets married to Big T, who is a character from the first movie. Um, mm. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and they're they're married, and right on their wedding, there's these sort of uh, swamp creeps sort of show up, and they like crash the wedding, and then Angelique and Big T elope into the swamps, uh, and they have like a pleasant little honeymoon in their shack. Um, however, the pleasantness of it is kind of is interrupted when the swamp folks kind of return and they're, and they're, uh, lustful. And like I said, this is a sexploitation movie. So, um, for like 30 minutes of the movie, they kind of 30, over 30 minutes for like 40 minutes. They kind of subject this poor woman to unspeakable acts of, of, uh, abuse and unwanted advances. And they kind of like hold her prisoner in the shack And in the latter half of the film, she exacts justice in this kind of Cajun justice, I should say, in this sort of brand of uh, Southern fried uh, action comedy, because I would say it's not without like it's comedic elements in that last act as she kind of exacts that revenge. So, yeah, I think it's a very simple plot. Um, you've seen this kind of thing before in, in other movies or this sort of like structure, I guess, and other exploitation movies. Um, but yeah, is that a fair description, Liam?
1: Absolutely fair. I don't think you missed anything, Mitch. Uh, The only thing that people might not get a good picture of that we really can't do just based on explaining the plot is that um, whatever your guesses are as to how long each of those sort of plot beats last that Mitch just said, you are probably wrong. Like the actual the swamp people uh, committing their rape and abuse doesn't start until a good hour in and then... Um, her exacting her Cajun justice revenge is about the last 10 minutes of the movie. So that means that about 50 minutes of the movie, if not a bit more are sort of just her and her husband hanging out at this Cajun swamp. And they're like hunting and learning to use a boat. Um, I, you could also, I think you could also call this movie an erotic thriller, not because of the abuse, but because uh, before we get to that point, there are quite a few sex scenes between this husband and wife very sensual sex scenes um and uh i thought that was kind of unique to this movie i've I've seen plenty of rape revenge movies and normally the ones that i've seen um you don't get a a decent helping of consensual sex in them but in this movie you do
2: you also get an unfortunate helping of the the other kind um yeah, this movie reminded me a bit of Straw Dogs by Sam Peckinpah. I don't like yeah, Straw Dogs. i I seen but that it, it, one. It has a remake too, Mitch. We could do it on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dying to do it, but we could, we
1: could do ne- it next sure. time Corey's away, maybe.
2: <laughs> next, next time Corey's away, we'll do it. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just go right into the cast and crew. I have very little to say about any everyone who's involved in this movie. And to be honest, uh, TMAO After Dark. We're uh, flying by the seeds of
1: our pants here. so And, and so is um, Wikipedia. I mean, Wikipedia so is... has very little to say about them, too. Not a single person in this cast has a Wikipedia page. One of the two directors has a Wikipedia page. And one person who did the music has a Wikipedia page. And that's yeah. all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. So
2: it is directed by husband and wife collaboration collaborators extraordinaire beverly and fred sebastian fred um,
1: sebastian mitch give that another look his name's Ferd. what did i call him fred i mean it's i read Fird. it as fred the first time too but it's fred is it
2: fred it could just be a typo because nobody uh oh no, no it's, it's Ferd.
1: yeah it's there in the movie too i saw it well
2: shoot fred yeah, you made strange. a damn good movie uh it's fred yeah my bad um They've not really made anything that I've ever heard of except for Gatorbait one and two. Um They
1: produced just sort of a lot of a lot of stuff in the seventies. Um, yeah, and then they kind of stopped it looks like their last movie was 1993 i wonder what they're up to yeah, um, apparently
2: apparently they're involved in the making of a documentary like the making of gator bait which was 2012 or they did that i'm not i don't <laughs> uh, know if gosh. it's a real one let me just look yeah there's like literally shit all about this movie on imdb so i have like, this is a real weird cut from the tmao back catalog where there's not a whole lot to say about the people who who made it, um, it's, yeah. It's, I, I,
1: me, me, and Corey have said this before that that a movie has been the most obscure movie we've done, but we might have topped it here, Mitch.
2: Yeah, I think we, I think we have. So it stars uh, Jan Sebastian as Angelique, Trey Lauren as Big mm-hmm. T. That's not the same guy from the original. Not the same actor. Uh, Paul Muscat as Leroy. What a name! Oh uh, gosh. And I'm firing off these names, but, like, I'm going to their pages, and these are, like, their soul works. So I wish I had more for you, dear listeners, but uh, I'm afraid you'll have to just savor what little Cajun delights I can afford. Um, ben Ben Sebastian as Al El Elik. I don't know if there's any real...
1: It has Any to relations? be, there has to be a family affair going on. I read in a letterbox review of all things, that's where I'm getting all my, all my Cajun justice info that, um, not only is the lead actress who you see right there on the poster, um, not only is she the daughter of Beverly and Ferd Sebastian, which is just, um, very intriguing to have your daughter be the star in a rape revenge movie that you've directed with your, with your, uh, partner it's
2: a Dario argento move
1: fascinating it is and then (laughs) i also read that big t is their son so maybe perhaps a family affair maybe big t is their biological son and he married uh and and she's just an in-law but then why is his last name not sebastian and hers is so maybe he is the son in-law i i have no idea um and I don't even know if any of these letterbox reviews could be taken as true, but the the multiple last names coming up is is very suspicious. I I would I, I would be very shocked if any of that is just a coincidence. This seems like the kind of movie where you would have to just call up your family uh, and your close yeah. friends and like your the person you see while you're walking your dog and be like, "Yo, can you can you be in this movie? I need some extras here."
2: Yeah. Um- Kind of funny that it's a family affair because the first movie is like full of incest.
1: Um, They had they had to wait fourteen years for all the babies to be born from uh, that, and now they're in this movie.
2: I had to wait for the youngins to hatch. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so we've got um, again, Rain Hubbard as geek, Betty Fleming as Cajun woman, Randolph Pero as Cajun gentleman, Susan Sarigny as Cajun cook, Keith Gross as Abert. I feel like that could have just be a typo for Albert. Rocky Dugas uh, as Emile. Sid Lowry as Drunk. Jocelyn Bordeaux as Bridesmaid. Denise Clements as bri- Bridesmaid. Melissa Alman as Bridesmaid. And John McDowell as Best Man. Um, what did they do? A whole lot of nothing. And that's right down the line. So... I'm going to leave it at that.
1: <laughs> Real ensemble For, cast in this movie.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm going to just traipse over to the crew very quickly in my swamp craft. It's all an in-house affair. Ferd is back again on the, as the DOP, Director of, of Photography, Cinematography, editor, what, whatever you like. George yeah. H. Hamilton did the music, and... Uh, Again, very slim pickings here with these these, uh, credits. He did American Angels, Baptism of Blood in 1990. Never heard of it. I can't say I have either. I have not had the privilege. Uh, Production design, (laughs) Beverly Sebastians, all in the family. Nice. Art art is Rocky Dugas, who uh, played Emil. That's right. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, he played Emil in this movie, so... Uh, it's a real homespun Cajun
1: affair. What can I say? Um, uh, on the Wikipedia page here, Mitch, it says three people are credited with the music. One is George H. Hamilton, like you said. We also have Vernon Rodrigue, who I, I feel like you said. Uh, I didn't. Past. I didn't
2: uh, uh, that. Like the on IMDb, the sole uh, music credit is that, but then the music department is Vernon mm.
1: Um who Vernon Rodriguez is, I don't know because this is his, his sole <laughs> credit. Uh, and I've noticed that even the the real people's names feel like the names of the characters in yes, these movies. But it's fascinating.
2: You know, also in the in the music department, Ferd dabbled a bit with mm. the composition.
1: The man, a man truly for all seasons and every man. Um, <laughs> And then I got to say here, the last music credit, on Wikipedia at least, tell me if this is a crossover with IMDb. Maybe we can get to the bottom of this. Cross-reference. It says Julius Adams in the music department. Uh, Let me go back and see if
2: Julius is, is kicking. Um... No, Julius is nowhere to be. Oh, no, no, no. Julius is at the top. Can can you uh, you
1: click on Julius and see if it brings you somewhere in particular? No. Because uh, Julius has a Wikipedia page, and it is very intriguing.
2: You know, I hate to say it, but Julius doesn't have much of an IMDb page.
1: Well, that makes sense. because
2: (laughs) The emperor has no IMDb
1: page. (laughs) Because Julius, his Wikipedia page is not about movies. Why would it be on the, do? on the IMDb page? He is an American football player who is a defensive lineman in the National Football League. He oh, played what his do you know? entire career with the New England Patriots. It says he was a four-year starter at Texas Southern, which which you know makes sense for uh, if we're trying to determine if he is, in fact, the famed Julius Adams who was on the music department for and Justice. Um, it says that he, he was born in 48. So he was, he was playing games in the seventies and, uh, and he was still playing in the late eighties. He stopped playing in 1987. So it sounds like he might've finished his lucrative football career, got one credit as Cajun justice. He peaked, he knew there was no point in trying to top it. And then he retired gracefully from filmmaking until he sadly passed away on uh, March 24th, 2016. Damn. Well, RIP
2: to the Emperor. Oh, wait, did you say he downloaded... Wait, he on the 16th of March? Is that what you said?
1: Uh, I think I said the 24th of March. Uh, yes, I did. I man. thought
2: you said it was the 15th, and I was like, the Ides of March. Julius died on the Ides of March. Oh, gosh. Like, no, he didn't. Uh, beware the Ides of March. And then, yeah. Next thing you're going to tell me, all the Senate plunged their daggers into him. Um, yeah, so I'm going to leave it at that because I haven't much to say. But I picked this movie because, A, it's like an exploitation film. And I know you, you have uh, an affinity for exploitation movies.
1: I do. We should talk about that a bit. Especially, Some people might not even know what an exploitation movie is this no we haven't really done them right no in my mind um an exploitation movie is a movie that is made for cheap um is made in order to capitalize on a genre um typically in salacious fashion because that's what brings the viewers in so Mm -hmm. an exploitation movie you're gonna get um a lot of nudity a lot of blood violence Um, and they were very popular back when you could churn out movies into theaters, Mm -hmm. you know, all the time, a different movie every week. And so we're talking double uh, features, right? Yeah. So 60s, 70s, 80s. And then by the time direct video DVD and stuff becomes a bit more popular, they start to phase out. And so nowadays, if you watch something that's called an exploitation movie, it's normally uh inspired by trying to call back to the time of exploitation movies but Mm -hmm. um i think it's a lot harder to actually make an exploitation movie certainly
2: yeah yeah definitely you don't see a whole lot of them i think like exploitation films are often uh grouped with grindhouse movies and to be sure they would have played in grindhouse cinemas um but to me, I think an exploitation film where those two things differ is that the exploitation film is usually more about pushing the envelope in some way um, mm-hmm. by like seeing what they can get away with. And so naturally, I'm I'm interested in that um, in sort of the extremes that cinema can kind of go to. Uh, I don't know if I like exploitation movies, but
1: I am fascinated by them and I, and I
2: watch a lot of them. Um
1: so, it's true, and 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 a lot of times, you know, movies become quite successful, uh, so successful that people don't associate them with exploitation movies um, because they managed to cross over into the mainstream. But a lot of movies that people uh, might know of that were exploitation movies is like a lot of the slashers from the '80s, like Friday the
0: Thirteenth. Yeah,
1: that was an exploitation movie. It, a poster of it and a title was made before the script was even written, and they and they put an ad out with a poster, um, yeah. just because because they knew that slasher movies based around holidays were were taken off. And so um, it was made to capitalize on that. And even something like, um, uh, you could say something like Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, now called one of the greatest swear movies of mm. all time um, by me. Um, that was made uh, right around the time of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and when people were starting to really get fascinated by violence and... Uh, yeah. It's also a Canadian movie and so it's Canuxploitation. sometimes called exploitation." So the 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 idea of exploitation, you know, even if you go on Wikipedia, you're going to see like 20 different subgenres, sex exploitation, Oz exploitation, which uh, is Australian movies and so uh, there's really a whole lot to it, but the way I see it, it is an exploitation movie is something that is m- being made for a small amount of money, meant to make a lot of money. Um, by capitalizing on current trends in a, uh, exploitative, often, um, salacious manner, upsetting manner. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I would say I'd say that's a pretty good, a pretty good assessment of it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so many movies. And again, like I don't think it's also just like distinctly an American trend, too. Like a, a lot of Italian Giallo would be considered exploitation oh, yeah. exploitation films as well, or Italian cannibal movies, I think, um, like Cannibal Holocaust or Cannibal Phalanx or all, all these sort of uh, affair. I, I don't remember what the hell it's called. Um, but Italian cannibal movies, shit like that, um, would all fall under that broad umbrella of. Exploitation. So yeah, I I I I sought this one out because it was like exploitation movie. Looks like it has a bit of camp. I I like kind of like Cajun redneck settings. I like that kind of diction. I like that makes me kind of laugh. Um, so I I sought out the original. Had a good enough time with it, and there were things that I liked about it. Um, that I thought this one would be good to bring back. Uh, so without further ado, Liam. What did you think of Gator Bait 2, Cajun Justice?
1: Well, like I said, like I alluded to, I don't think I said it. I have not seen the original Gator Bait. That is uh, a Mitch original. And so um, maybe I'm a bit lost here on the plotting. Maybe, Maybe I didn't give this movie a fair shake in that regard. Um And so I want to fill myself in on the gator bait lore and I will likely watch the first one um, for all the reasons you described. I, I think I think uh, exploitation movies are fascinating. I think that the uh, setting of like a swamp with uh, rednecks is funny. Um, mm. And I had a good time with this movie. I had a good enough time. Um the filmmaking here might be if not some of the uh, i'm i I don't want to say some of the worst we've seen because it is not it is not like it's not incompetent it, right right and it's not a lot of times movies bother us because they're sort of pretentious in how bad they are like they're trying to be so much more than they're capable of whereas this movie it they, they have no uh, they have no um, delusions of what Gator bait 2 is going to be um, and so it is it is very plain very um, uninspired I would say or at least very simply inspired the the reason to make this movie was likely to capitalize on whatever momentum Gatorbait one had garnered over the last decade and a half that sounds like the kind of movie that I, despite having not heard of it I bet it was playing on cable I bet people were renting it on VHS tape and um, I I bet that they just they thought it would be fun to do another movie um and so they they churned it out they got their family and friends involved but it doesn't read to me like people who are passionate about... Um, Filmmaking as an artistic medium, it feels like they are. It really is exploitation at its at its heart. You know, the the, these people haven't made any movies for three decades now. It's uh, you know, going on four decades, so it's not. Um, it it doesn't feel like a a movie that um has a whole lot of passion behind it, and um, I actually find a lot of charm in that. I just like being transported into this mm-hmm. very unassuming, um, flat, unflattering world uh, from 1987, 1988, whenever they shot this movie. It looks oh, much older. <laughs> it, it looks a whole lot older. Uh, I'm not even convinced that this was shot around that time. It wouldn't surprise me if it was shot much earlier. And they In just, the early 80s or the late right? 70s. I mean, it, the
2: fashions look that way too.
1: Absolutely. And uh, a lot of it just feels like I'm watching like home movies um, yeah. and, of these people on their honeymoon. And I, I actually like that. And then uh-huh. when stuff starts going down again in probably the last 45 minutes, if not the last half hour, and by that I mean actual... Action happening where this this woman um, is abused, and then she eventually seeks vengeance. That's not a, a large chunk of the movie, and when it does happen, it is not constructed with, I would say, the tact or the um, the forcefulness, the the the, the desperation that often accompanies, um, in my mind, the most powerful rape revenge movies. Stuff like yeah. Last House on the Left. Stuff like, um, even recently, there was a a, a movie um, called Revenge that was made by a woman just a few years ago. And that is a, an incredibly passionate piece of filmmaking. Um, and this does not have that at all. And so once the action starts going down, it basically feels... As flat as the rest of the movie um but with, with a few exceptions but yeah yeah. I, yeah yeah definitely with a few exceptions but um i still liked it enough i just liked hanging out with the movie i i like that it's an oddity that i've now seen where i just i feel like i just know a bit more about some people in the world the fact that this movie yeah. was shot by a husband and wife team and now it seems like some family members were in the cast um that's that's sort of cool to me i i've always said that my superpower in life if i could choose it would be to somehow know everything that has happened in a specific location um If I could, if I would just like, I would look at a location and uh, then like a data screen would appear in my head of these people did this thing at this location at this time. This is what led them there. I would love that. Could you imagine
2: checking into like a shitty motel or something and then just like. (laughs) Oh,
1: I know, I know. It would, it would definitely bite you. But if I could choose when to do it, I think it would be, it would be absolutely brilliant because there are like certain spots on endless stretches of highway where me and my friend's car broke down and we were there for like four hours and making jokes and uh, waiting for a tow truck. And then when the tow truck guy picked us up, he was a very weird, interesting character. Um, and we just had you know a wild night that I'm never gonna make a movie about because, you know, it it wasn't that wild. No one was killed or anything. It's not really a great story, but in my head, it just, it has this weight to it. And I, um, Everyone in the world sort of has those things that those experiences that like um, just stick with them and make them unique. Just things that they've done that are just gonna end up being lost to time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I I just really like that this. Uh, You know, summer or whatever it was, was caught on film that these people made this movie. And a lot of times when you're seeing a movie that is constructed a lot more thoughtfully, um, you know, you could say much better movies than this. It's a lot harder to tap into that because you're actually um, getting wrapped up in like these characters and the writing and the way the cinematography looks. And it it doesn't feel like it is from the real world. It, 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 It feels like the magic of movie making, whereas this I can tell that this is just like people in the late 80s or the late 70s, whenever it was filmed, just making this movie. And that is very charming to me. And so I'm with you. So, uh, it's a movie I'm glad to have seen. Um, I don't know that I'd. Recommend it to someone just because there are so many other. uh, If this is the itch they're trying to scratch, there are so many other exploitation movies that have this charm that I'm talking about, while also having what I think is dramatic or thematic weight to them. Um, And so this movie would would sort of have to move down the watch list over and over again Mm -hmm. until, and you know, I don't know when someone would get to it. But I would say that. If, if this kind of movie is your thing and you're just you're not always looking to watch your next favorite movie or the next best movie and you're OK just watching a movie that um, if you're like trying to get an objective metric, it's going to be like at most maybe a five out of ten. And if you're a very subjective person that is only looking for the best ever movie, you might give this movie like a one out of ten. Yeah, but but for me, um, the charm of it goes a really long way. This reminds me of the movies I saw on cable when I was a kid in the early 2000s. I I'm, I'm so thankful I actually have these memories where I would just flick through cable in the middle of the night, and um, there was a channel here in Canada called Scream that would uh, just yes. air like they they would not air blockbusters at all i don't think they could afford them um and they would not air modern movies either like the the most recent movie i ever saw them air before they eventually went out of business was from like 2006 and even when they did that i was like it's weird that this movie does not have grain to it i didn't really know what that the movies i was watching were from the 70s back then it it was just uh I was just watching these weird grainy movies um, that, that no one has really ever talked about since like stuff, like some stuff I want to do on this podcast, like stuff like night of the demons three, which is just a direct video movie. Right. Or like, um, Another one is uh, American Gothic from the late 80s or um, oh, yeah. stu- Student Bodies, which is sort of like a, a slasher satire. And it's some of this stuff is are sort of cult classics now, but mm. some of it aren't. You know, I've never really seen anyone talk about Night of the Demons 3 or, or Gator Bait 2. And so I'm glad I've seen this. I can't imagine I'll watch it again. Definitely not in the near future. Maybe... Two decades from now, Mitch, I'll like think about the time you and I watched this together and uh, the memories I have of the movie. And then I'll say, you know, yeah. I want to I put that on just to remind myself of it because I've also done that with movies I watched in, on screen back in the day. And so other than that, this movie doesn't have a lot going for it, but that is sort of why... I like it, so I I did enjoy my time with this movie, Mitch. Yeah. I got to hear from you. I think we arrive at
2: similar conclusions. You said a lot of really interesting things there, like you you were talking about how you you couldn't necessarily see the passion on the screen, and I agree with you there. But it, it's so obvious that everybody who made this movie probably had a really good time. I want to mm-hmm. say I say probably because I'm I'm not so sure about the woman who played Angelique.
1: But Ugh. even but even so, Mom, Dad, don't make me do yeah, this scene again. Uh, uh,
2: yeah, fuck. Yeah, but 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 part of the um, the reason and you were also talking in the end about um, how that last half feels as as flat as the first half, and I agree with you, it's not as satisfying as it could be. But tonally, there's a dramatic shift where it kind of starts doing that smoky and the bandit sort of thing with the banjos and the. Eehaw!
1: oh she, yes riding the swamp boats.
2: so it there's there is a shift in tone uh in the end and indeed it happens in the in the other gator bait movie several times where it has that sort of levity backwater bushwhack and riding the swamp boats and shooting shooting like redneck rapists like it, it's 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 got that sort of thing to it that is like i guess like satisfying and and it does that with kind of like a sense of like levity that that um it's not like a, a great finale but there's some really satisfying moments they like i love the part where she runs over that guy with the boat and she just fucking like slams it on his skull and then he just mm-hmm. di- dies or um the the i on all counts, I don't think this movie is as good as the original, but it's not a bad movie. IMDb gives this movie uh, a whopping 4.4 out of 10, um, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that that's unfair. Like if if I were rating this movie, I'd probably give it like a 6.5. Honestly, I uh, like. Oh my
1: gosh, I love you.
2: Not a not a glorious rating, but I you know you could you could find worse movies to sort of kick back and and you know drink beers and and (laughs) watch but um yeah i think i like this movie enough and 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 for the same reasons uh there is like the performances are effective and and kind of like kind of funny i like that sort of like shoot clayton like where'd you put the the crawfish net and like all that like it's and the the physicality of the bad guys in this movie—they're all fucking disgusting. Oh. Like, one guy has uh, these enormous white flakes that they can't be dandruff, like they—they've they've got because they look like they're like they look like the crests of mountaintops. These white sort of oh, yeah. crackling—it's repulsive. Um, but you've got these sort of like effective uh, like inbred kind of like shoot, like what are we doing?
1: Like. Um, I'm not convinced are... that they're not inbred at this point, Mitch. Like what we've said about the family uh, situation. Do you mean um, the family that
2: made this movie? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, be- the- I'm, I'm being facetious, but it's it's honestly a compliment to, I guess, the casting or or to their acting. Like yeah. the bad guys in this movie, they really do. I can't picture them playing any other part and apparently they haven't played any other True. part and, and so I think
2: they could play the, the, the same role in a better movie and it'd be good right be good yeah. It. yeah they're effective yeah oh my gosh yeah I mean write what you know uh, right the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the original movie has way more of that like it, it, it's a much more sort of like uh, layered incestual storytelling where you realize at the end that like everyone's related to each other um, mm. it's kind of funny that does um, sound good. Yeah. Uh so it's it is really good. This movie is just like a a worthwhile uh, sequel, but um mm-hmm. and one that you I think you could have fun with if you're not like overly sensitive to like the more um graphically sort of sexual scenes that we talked about. Although they're not like super g- graphic necessarily, they're just like uh, uncomfortable. In fact, like most of of like the or a lot of like the the actual like rape is like is clothed but it, it's uh it just goes on for a really long time and it's it's like not yeah it's it's uh hard to watch and it goes on for a long time so if you're sensitive to that i i wouldn't recommend like either of these movies um cuz they are pretty gross in that regard but outside of that um there's some re- like redeeming qualities i think
1: um i want to know mitch what are some of the ways that this movie differs from the first not not in terms of just like you know what they're about but why is it that this movie isn't as good as the first one the fact that you mm -hmm. just mentioned that incestual like reveal at the end of the first one it sounds like that movie has a bit more meat on the bone uh, in terms of storytelling
2: there's there's definitely more to take away with the with the plot. You you've got your setup where it's uh, this the deputy uh, and like these two deputies are riding a swamp boat and they accidentally uh, sink it, and uh, one of the guys like accidentally like shoots the other deputy and pins it on the cajun swamp rat from the first film like the the woman who is being Mm. pursued and -hmm. they pin it on her and then so it's about sort of like um uh, the dangers of sort of like the, the legal system and false testimony and uh these people all go after her and there's like the supporting cast is really wonderful you've got like this uh this sort of uh patriarch of this uh southern sort of brood and uh all of his kids and they're all like inbred and they're all like i don't know like there's like a, a a long sort of sequence where like the main one of like the sons like who's like incredibly horny like wants to like um like have sex with his sister it's really fucked up
0: gosh uh,
2: and uh and um there's also like uh one of the sons is like like sexually violent and he does like this really fucking monstrous thing to like the the sister of uh the main character and um so the like the the setup is more compelling the act that they perpetrate against the central character is more effective and i think makes uh, i don't want to say that this one doesn't make you feel sympathy for the main character because that couldn't be further from the truth. But the the lengths that they go to are further and more exploitative and they you know kill her entire family in like brutal fashion and the sort of long scene and then the way in which she exacts revenge and how like the people who wrong her realize that they're doing so on the grounds of like false testimony and then how they realize like that they're actually all much closer than they thought that they were um, it's a much more interesting narrative and it. I think it also has a better production design or at least like, uh, it feels like a bigger budget and, uh, some better jokes, a better supporting cast. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, a better constructed movie. I think it, like it, it feels like more, there's more attention to detail and more, um, more to, to take away. I think this one, uh, this one just feels like a small haul of crayfish.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like it was made by totally different people, um, you know, like b- behind uh, in terms of writing and directing. That's yeah. fascinating. That sounds like um, it, it makes it seem like Gator 2 is actually like kind of like more pure as an exploitation movie, uh, in that, mm. like it was it, <laughs> like the first one has, um, seems like it, it goes to darker places, you know, in terms of, uh, yeah. um, provoking people, which, which yeah. is a big part of, it uh, definitely, of... definitely does. But this, this Gator Bait 2 movie, it seems like, uh, it was like made with much less thought just in order to capitalize on the idea of gator bait and uh, the the idea of a rape revenge movie without actually um, injecting it with with any mm-hmm. with any gravitas or actual like uh, filmmaking thought. Um, yeah, which I, I, mean, I the, and we see that commonly with sequels, but
2: mm-hmm. yeah, I mean the original movie is still definitely like a a, a rape revenge movie, but it has it has more. Just more to it yeah it, 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 but in the same time, when I was watching this movie and it sort of navigated those plot points and like uh, when she finally goes out and gets that revenge and everything else, it feels like the first movie like it, it it does feel like a very faithful sequel made by people who made the first movie and like had a love for the source material and um, so it it feels like a faithful sequel uh, but just an inferior one
1: nice and that's sort of um if that's all you get with a sequel that's pretty damn good you know a a lot of sequels don't have that combination at all i i am really interested to see the first gator bait even more so after you've talked about uh where it goes like that sounds like more what i expected this movie would be um Mm -hmm. I, i was a bit surprised that this movie is sort of um just unassuming and that there's there it's it really takes its time and the uh moments of horror are sort of just like there as plainly as possible, whereas other movies I've seen that deal with similar subject matter, it seems like they they really are trying in terms of the music or in terms of the blocking, in terms of where they're placing the camera. They're going to do all that in order to um, exemplify the horror of what's happening. Whereas this movie, the rape scene, is um, just really like straightforward in terms of its presentation, but like it doesn't feel like it's an artistic choice. Do you know what I mean? Uh,
2: I, I see what you mean. It, uh, I mean, I don't know if there's any artistic choices to be found in either of these movies, um, but that's the point. I mean, you're not, these are not works of art. These are just like people who documented their summer and made a good movie and probably put it on for a drive in. And I bet you everybody had a really good time. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, there's no, there's no art to be had or no um, profound meditation, but it, it's just fun to to visit these sort of like dismal swamps and meet like all these weird characters that are like attending a wedding and getting in a brawl and like the the woman who owns the beer store and says like no cursing at my at my like watering hole or whatever you know no foul yeah. no no vulgar language, um, yeah it's it's just like a a good movie that you like and it's not very long you can just throw it on and be done with it like if you're just looking for some shit to throw on in the background
1: even it might might not be a bad choice for sure yeah and it it really does light me up just uh seeing a bit of um, a bit of like I don't even want to call it film history I mean it is a film but just seeing a bit of like societal history like just like world history like because I just feel like I got to know these actual people as opposed to getting to know some film knowledge that I'm gonna bring to a conversation that I might get when I watch uh, something like um the postman always rings twice you know where I'm like oh that's a movie that Jack Nicholson was in and uh, this is what I thought of his performance in it I I can't really talk that way about Gator Bait 2 but I still do feel like I learned something and it also makes me uh, think about how many cult movies there are out there and how horror fans, you know, they love this stuff. They eat it up. Mm -hmm. There are movies that no one ever thought would be huge. And now there are like documentaries about them or they're, they're re-released on Blu-ray and you have interviews with the actors who never did another movie Mm. um, after it happened, like Silent Night, Deadly Night part two, you know, that dude became a meme and he had no idea um yeah
2: i mean now now like gator bait the original from 73 is kind of having its time in the sun like it, it, it's on shutter now and people are writing mm, ar- mm. articles about it and i feel like it's only a matter of time before people sort of turn over the rock and see what's crawling <laughs> underneath it with gator bait too like it, it it it's uh it's only a matter of time this is just one of those cult movies that i think a lot of people would probably like
1: yeah I, and I hope that does happen just because i I would love to know what these these cast members and these crew members are are up to now um I would love to know about like what went in to making yeah. the movie and just as much as I feel like watching this film gave me a window into their lives there are still so many things I don't know you know we've made jokes about like what the family situation is here or when the movie was shot because we can't even tell and so I would love to hear from the people in this movie and just, learn some of that stuff and there are so many movies out there that could be cult favorites and it just never ends up happening because there are millions of movies out there you can't put all of them out on blu-ray and and interview people for special features or, or for your website or whatever and so um, just the fact that we got to talk about this movie uh, is really cool and I'm, I am rooting for it in terms of any other press it gets just because mm. uh, I think it's um it's cool these people made a movie and I think that's cool
2: yeah, you know, I just I just did some googling about Gatorbait while you were talking and I I wish I hadn't uh I don't wish I hadn't, but I I uh I just realized that apparently the term Gatorbait is actually a slur, like a historical slur. Um wow. and I I did not know that going into
1: this. <laughs> I didn't know that either. Um Yeah. I guess so the title is like a play on that. I don't know. It's referring to the practice of using African babies or children
2: to lure alligators for hunters, which is one of the most disgusting things I've ever read. So I did not know that.
1: Um neither did I. Oh my gosh. We're going to really talk this about episode? exploitation, right? Yeah, my god <laughs> Got
2: it dude. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Like we are in firm
1: exploitation territory. I had no idea. <sighs> Dang. Well, um I guess it oh it says here that in, in the UK, the first Gator Bait was released as Swamp Bait. I don't know if that's if that's related at all. They were like, we're not gonna put out a movie called Gatorbait. Um None of that is uh is in the sequel, and it sounds like none of it it doesn't none of that has any thematic or like it doesn't matter at all. They just it sounds like they just chose the title to be provocative, um regardless of what the movie was about. There are alligators in the movie. Yeah, uh, I'm but. I'm reading all this now
2: and apparently that was like a like a, a commonly used phrase in the Jim Crow South. That's
1: terrible. Damn. I should have done my research before this one. <laughs> We're learning live on air that um the world is a lot bigger than we thought it was, Mitch, and a lot more terrifying. Yeah. Jesus. Well, wow. gator bait watch it maybe watch it maybe <laughs> draw um, your own conclusions after every after this journey you've been on Corey. draw your own conclusions that's just that's what you get on tmao after dark we don't know where it's gonna lead um we don't know how we're gonna feel about it but extremely unreliable hosts that, that don't do i'm a, a just a, a fraud and a
2: hack that doesn't doesn't do his work now in all fairness i'm working on like a nine day work streak in a row so Let that one slide. Let that one slide by accident. Um, Yeah. Now I want to know even more about the people who made this movie.
1: Right? Okay, we've got a, maybe at some point we can do a Gatorbait 2 redux in the After Dark series, of course, and maybe we can we can talk to some of these people. Uh, I would imagine, Mitch, you know, we both graduated from journalism school, maybe we can put some of those skills yes. to the test and track them down. It says on Wikipedia that Beverly Sebastian, Fur doesn't have a Wikipedia page, but Beverly, um... She retired with her husband to Florida after they made a movie called Running Cool in 1993. As of 2012, so this is a de- decade old news at this point, um, she runs the Greyhound Foundation, which saves greyhound dogs retired from racing, gives them medical assistance, and trains them with prisoners. Interesting. Uh, so she gave an interview here in 2012
2: so on she, she give YouTube. She gives- oh.
1: My gosh, this she looks like my grandma in 2012. I guess she would have to be pretty old to have directed a movie in 1974. It's just yeah. wild to imagine this woman being behind Gator Bait and Gator Bait 2. You've got to see this, Mitch. This yeah. is wild. This is a rabbit hole. Yeah, send it over on
2: uh, on Messenger.
1: I want to look. I will. Just It's a video interview, so it's fascinating. Um, and to <laughs> despite being the longest ever Gator Bait 2 podcast, I bet we, you we did less research than the three minute long dude. Yeah, honestly. So I'm sorry yeah, about this, but... I'm
2: sorry, listeners. That's what you get after dark. <laughs> that is what you get. Yeah, holy shit. She looks like my right? grandma. <laughs> yeah.
1: And she's like sitting in a grandma room too. There's like some books behind her, bright white walls, um, flowers, a flowered curtain. She saved over seven thousand dogs from being killed. That's the title of the video, and it doesn't reference Gatorbait at all. It's just like Oh, and then we got we got two comments here. One says, God bless this woman, and the other says, Can't believe she directed brutal horror films. <laughs> What do you know? Oh, I
2: Beverly feel that Sebastian same way. is an enigma, truly full <laughs> of surprises. Wow, God bless. You, this, is, this episode's been a trip. We've gone from like regret like I regretted even like doing this once I found out what the title is named after. and now we're learning about Beverly Saving
1: Dogs. It's like, jeez and w- once the episode is over my gator bait journey is not going to end Mitch this is going to be on my mind i'm definitely watching the first one and then i'm going to do a bit of digging and see um see what's going on here if any of yeah. these people from the movies are still around and let's see if we can
2: honestly get them on, on the show i would love to i would love to see if we could cuz i bet you this is a get that we could probably get
1: yeah if if yeah. if there's any get that we could possibly get this might be the one yeah all right, everyone. Well, look forward to our bonus after dark episode. That will be um, an interview with someone from the Gatorbait franchise. Um, that much I can, I can promise. We'll, we'll we'll give it our we'll give it our best shot. Yeah. Um. And also look forward to Tokyo Drift, which I think will still be our next episode. Uh, barring that, Corey is better next week. If he is not. Lord help you, because who knows what me and Mitch are gonna do uh, when we're left to our own devices? You might be hearing us talk about um, what did we mention earlier, Mitch? There was what? there was uh, we uh, said that that was gonna be another after dark. Uh, we we said we, we we joked about straw dogs. <laughs> That's right, straw dogs will do, or we'll do like, gosh, well, maybe like I uh, don't know. <laughs> I spit on your grave seven, something like something like that. Something like um, that. Something so about... more
2: exploitation <laughs> films coming your way soon.
1: Yeah, so let's hope that Corey is better. We can do Tokyo Drift. Um, also an exploitation film in some regards, I, I would imagine. Um, and that's about it. Mitch, if you want to try to get us out of here, let's see if Yeah, Liam, how, how about you how out, out of it.
2: How about you uh, give me your plugs?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, you can see what I rate Gatorbait 2. Um, you can see me be the 168th Letterbox member to have uh, watched Gatorbait two, um, and see how uh, my rating affects the average. Because based on the amount of ratings here, it sounds like I might be able to sway this thing. But uh, it's it's nice to see that Gatorbait two on Letterboxd has a two point seven, which is you know a bit over fifty percent. It's it's mm. a lot. It's it's a, a decent amount within the three and a half star to one and a half star rating is is where you're getting most of the action. so uh, we'll we'll see what I can how I can contribute to this. My username is Graham the Mallow on those platforms.
2: very nice. I'm not gonna give you any plugs and I'm also not gonna give you my usual pageantry. I'm just gonna go right into the outro, okay? Sounds good. Thank you once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made it Another, all one word, or on Letterboxd at T M A O. You can find all episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else at They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, anything really. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at jadesketches. We'll catch you there next time for more. They made another one?
0: That's it for this edition of TMAO After Dark. If you're looking for more to sink your teeth into, tune in tomorrow for MK Podquest, where the boys have a run-in with Cabral and Jola, the sinister and seductive siblings of the Black Dragon. This marks the end of our broadcast day. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.